Welcome back to the Lumberhawk Podcast, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. I gotta say it, this is not financial advice. I'm just a guy with a microphone and an internet connection trying to be educational and entertaining. All right, let's get into it. You know, it's nearly impossible to save your way out of poverty in this country. The median household income in the United States is $67,000. After taxes, that's somewhere in like the fifty-five dollars to $57,000 range. The median home price is $430,000. Now, why is that relevant? Because everyone and their brother will tell you that owning a home is the American dream and owning a home is the most effective way for the average person to generate long-term wealth because it's a real asset that isn't going to get inflated away and generally real estate is a fantastic hedge against inflation. I've talked about many times before, you put that money in the bank, you're going to lose 2, 3, 5, 7, 9.1% a year due to inflation and that money is just going to dwindle and dwindle in real buying value, real buying power. So, you know, you're the median family in the United States making your $67,000 a year, $57,000 after taxes. You're buying the median home, $430,000. Today's rates, you're going to get a 30-year fixed rate mortgage with 5% down, which is pretty standard, uh, for about 6.7% APR. Now, if you can afford more down, you can get a lower percentage rate for sure. But 5% of $430,000 is about twenty dollars dollars I think. Most people don't have that kind of money. Like I said before, 50% of this country lives paycheck to paycheck. So how is a family making $67,000 a year supposed to save up $20,000? But they have to. So let's assume that they do. You save up your $20,000, you go buy that median home, $430,000. Your monthly payments at 6.7% APR are $3,400 a month. $3,400 a month. Now, I'm including in there average taxes and average insurance and that kind of stuff. I think I put in there an average HOA price of $50. I realize a large portion of the country doesn't have HOAs. A large portion of the country does. So I just put it in there as $50. $3,400 a month is $41,000 a year. You're bringing home $57,000 a year. There is no way that the median family can afford the median home. So what do they do? They rent. You have to. You have no choice. You have to rent. Now, you rent something smaller, of course, an apartment perhaps, and if you're like most Americans, you live paycheck to paycheck. If you're lucky, you're saving a little bit, but let's call the median household, uh, you know, two adults, and what's it, one and a half kids, two kids? I don't know about you, but a family of four living on $60,000 a year take home, $57,000 a year take home, it's pretty rough. Let's say your rent is half of what that mortgage price I was talking about. So the mortgage was $3,400. So let's say your rent is $1,700. That means your yearly rent expense is about $20,000 a year. So you're bringing home $57,000, spending a little bit over twenty dollars in rent, which means for the rest of the year, you have that you know, almost forty. dollars Let's call it $37,000. That gives you about $3,000 a month to spend on 
everything else. Utilities, food, transportation, everything. For a family of four. Living in an undersized apartment that you can barely afford. What's the savings rate of a family like that going to be? I mean, let's say they're really frugal. And, you know, they're trying real hard. And they're doing all the right things. I mean, like a really aggressive savings rate for a family in that situation. Again, median family, 500 bucks a month. So you save your 500 bucks a month. You're really, really being stingy. 500 bucks a month. That's $6,000 a year. You're saving up for that house. That house that you need $20,000 down. Simple math would tell you, well, after four years, you can, you can get there. You can get that $20,000. Well, you could, sure. But two, two problems with that. One, the housing market is generally going up with or faster than inflation numbers, which right now are 8.5% as of yesterday. So you need $20,000 today for a down payment, but in four years, you're going to need twenty-five, maybe $30,000 for that same down payment for that same house because that $430,000 house is now a $530,000 house. Also, we already said that the reason why you're renting is because you can't afford $3,400 a month. Oh, wait, we went up to $530,000. So now your mortgage payment's like four grand a month. You definitely can't afford it. The price of housing and the price of inflation, which are tied together, are going up faster than most people in the middle and lower middle class brackets can afford to save. And therefore, it is an endless cycle. They're saving all this money. They're being so frugal. They're being so stingy. And they're doing the best they can. And there is a 0% chance that they're ever going to afford that home. So they rent forever. And then they say, why am I saving all this money if it's never going to turn into the American dream? So they spend it. Spend it on crap. Because that's what we do. Next thing you know, you're living a paycheck to paycheck just like everyone else. How do you get out of that system? I'm going to do a little pivot here. Talk about Robin Hood. Not, not in the way you think. Robin Hood gets a lot of shit. People, uh, people like to, to bag on Robin Hood. And, you know, for good reason. They got some problems. That's, let's not dance around that. But Robin Hood did something that nobody had done before. And I appreciate it. When Robin Hood came on the scene, every brokerage that I was aware of had a commission based on your trade. I believe the cheapest one I was aware of at the time was Trade King, and I think that their commission was $5.99 at trade. A lot of companies were much more expensive, $7.99, $9.99. There was a couple that were $14.99 for a trade. So let's think about that family making $67,000 a year, $57,000 take home. And they're able to save $500 a month, which is a very aggressive amount. So let's just go ahead and call it $100 a week. Let's say you get paid weekly and you have $100 that you can do something with. Well, let's say you're on E-Trade or something. Let's say E-Trade was $10. I think they were, but don't quote me on that. I think they were $9.99 a month per trade. So you got your $100 a week and you're going to go and you're going to buy some stocks because, well, that house is out of reach. So you got to do something with your money and you know that inflation is coming for you. So let's, let's put it in the stock market because that's what everyone says. That's, that's good, right? That's a good thing to do. Take your $100, you bring it to E-Trade, they charge you $10 for your first trade. Now you're doing one trade, you're only doing one trade, you're not trying to be a trader, you're trying to be a long-term buy and hold kind of person, kind of family rather. You take your $100 and you put it into 
whatever your favorite stock is, or you want to anyways, what's your favorite stock? Well, I hope it's not Google. Your $100 ain't buying any of that. Not only because Google share price is super high, but I don't know if anyone did fractional reserve or fractional reserve, excuse me, fractional shares pre Robinhood. Maybe they did, but there were plenty of groups that did not. So now you're limited basically just to cheap stocks. You can buy Ford. You know, I don't know what it was trading for at the time, maybe like four dollars or something like that. So you could buy, you know, a couple of shares of Ford or, you know, basically anything under a hundred dollars. But, you know, let's say you bought something that was worth 60 bucks. I don't know what stock it is. Company ABC. So you can buy one share of ABC for 60 bucks. You're going to spend $10 on commission. So you've spent 70 bucks. You have $30 sitting around waiting for next week. Hopefully you can buy something else. So your commission is like 17% that you're paying. The fee you're paying for that trade is like 17%. You lost 17% of your money on day one. How are you ever supposed to turn that into a positive investment? Next week, you're going to lose 17% on that too. $10 a trade isn't a big deal if you have $50,000 to trade. Cool, I'll pay my 10 bucks. It's a fraction of nothing. It doesn't matter. But if you're in lower income America and you're just trying to get by, $5.99, $7.99, $9.99, that is significant. It is a significant barrier to entry. Might as well just go bring it to the slot machine and see what happens. I don't actually believe that. I'm just saying. So back to Robinhood. Robinhood changed all that. Now, granted, they make their own money in their own ways, but they enabled people through more or less a zero-fee structure to invest $20 a week if they wanted to in two ways. One, you could go buy your four shares of Ford at $20, or with your $20 rather, or you could buy a tiny fraction of a share of Google because they allowed fractional shares. They actually enabled people who live paycheck to paycheck to try to stop. Before that, the system was incredibly preventive of people doing that. They didn't have access. And if they did bite the bullet and do it, they were starting at a huge loss. No wealthy person would make that choice. No wealthy person. Let's say you had 250 grand laying around because you know you're rich and you want to go buy an investment property. Okay, cool. You go buy this $250 piece of property. But the day you buy it, the broker, or not, sorry, the real estate agent takes a 17% commission. Well, of course, I, I, I know the seller pays the commission, quote unquote, which means the buyer pays the commission. That's how it works. That's how money works. All right. So yeah, your broker, your uh, real estate agent is taking a 17% commission. You're going to buy from them? Of course, you're not going to buy from them. That's what people had to do pre-Robin Hood. So I respect them for that. They, uh, they forced the whole system, the whole network of, of exchanges to adjust and therefore opened up the floodgates basically that everyone could participate in one of the only mechanisms of wealth generation, passive wealth generation at least. Now, there are a lot of ways to make money. But if you're doing it the hard way, and by the hard way, I mean working hard for it, you only got so many hours in a day. You can only accomplish so much in a day. Kind of doesn't matter what your skill set is. You are capped. 
Some people, you know, you might be a lawyer or a dentist and you might be capped at 500 grand a year. You might work at a fast food joint and maybe you're capped at 30 grand a year. doesn't matter how many hours you work in that McDonald's. You're only getting so much for that time. So the only way to really change your financial situation in a way that can scale, in a way that can change your family, not only now, but like generationally, is to figure out a way to get involved in passive income producing assets. And yeah, people just didn't have access to that. You couldn't take somebody who was saving $100 a week and help them to go buy an investment property. We already just said how the stock market wasn't going to work. How are you going to come up with that $20,000 to buy that house? Oh, wait, that was for your primary residence. For an investment property, you need at least 20 or 25% down. So for that $430,000 house, now we're talking about hundred k. You got to come up with 100K to go buy an investment property. Come on. The system is not designed to help people get out of poverty. Money, current US dollar money, is not designed to help people save their way, work hard, bootstraps, all that stuff, save your way out of poverty. You can't. I like to think that Bitcoin gives people a similar opportunity that Robinhood did in a very different way. You can buy Bitcoin with a dollar. And yeah, on layer one, there are transaction fees. There are costs to buying Bitcoin, but those costs are proportional to how much you're buying. So if you're buying a ton of it, you're going to spend more. And if you're buying $100 of it, you're going to spend less. It's going to be proportional, I mean, more or less the same. But what about if you're buying your Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, which is what I recommend to everyone. If you don't have a Strike account, if you're buying Bitcoin and you're not using Strike and you have access to Strike, you need to change. Because Strike, now there's there's an upside and a downside. Strike is a Lightning Network application. It's got a wallet associated with it. And when you're talking about self-custody and putting your funds onto cold storage, Strike is not that. If you want the security of cold storage, you are going to have to transfer money from wherever you get it. And by money, I mean Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is money. You're going to have to transfer your Bitcoin from wherever you purchased it, however you acquired it, into your hard storage device, and there will be network fees associated with that. No getting around that. That is what you pay for services. Transferring of money is a service. Miners provide that service. You pay them. But you can literally buy five dollars every day every week every month on the lightning network and pay essentially zero in fees you will be getting a hundred percent or close enough to a hundred percent that's not worth talking about of your value converted to bitcoin and then when you have enough saved up that you know you care about the whole self-sovereignty not your keys not your coins thing then you transfer it to hard hardware wallets cold storage. I don't know if that number is at $100 or $1,000 or $100,000. That's a that's a number that you have to figure out. But yeah, just as a side note, I highly recommend that if you have enough Bitcoin that it would make you sad to lose it, put it on hardware wallet. If you're trying to save your money in fiat dollars, consider trying to save it in real assets. And by real assets, I really mean like three classes of assets. Real estate has a incredibly long track record of generating true family wealth. I, I mean, I don't think you can find 
a wealthy person who doesn't own real estate in some capacity. The stock market has, you know, a hundred and something years of history of basically going up at, you know, nine-ish percent. I'm just talking about like the Dow Jones and the US, like S&P 500, US, US stock situation. So like that's got a pretty good average of, you know, somewhere around 9% average over the last hundred years. Now, I'll warn you that the stock market in American companies are tethered with the U.S. dollar situation. So as the U.S. dollar situation degrades, which I think is inevitable, it might have rippling effects on business ventures. The third asset class that I would encourage you highly to learn about and to consider is Bitcoin. Now, I know you could say, oh, well, Bitcoin was at $60,000 six months ago, and now it's at $20,000, and what if I lose all my money? All right, look, Bitcoin is volatile, for sure. That volatility is going to come anytime you have a brand new asset class with a tiny market cap. The market cap of Bitcoin compared to gold, it's a 21 ratio, 20 to 1. The market cap of Bitcoin to the stock market or to the real estate market is massive. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's it's ridiculous. The reason why it's a big deal when the stock market fluctuates by like a percent in the day is because it requires a huge sum of money in order for, you know, the Dow Jones to shift by a percent. It doesn't require that much money to shift Bitcoin or the cryptocurrency market as a whole by a percent because it's still so tiny. As adoption happens, the spot price of Bitcoin and the total market cap of Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency market combined will increase. When the spot price, or rather when the market cap of Bitcoin is equivalent to that of gold, which is about $11 trillion, which is 20x, a little over 20x from where we are right now, then the stability of Bitcoin will be far different. I mean, you can just see it in the last 10 years. 10 years ago, 2012, the price of Bitcoin would fluctuate by 50% in a day and nobody cared. Well, nobody cared because nobody was looking at it. I mean, there were definitely people looking at it, but just a percentage of the population of the planet, it was essentially nobody. 50% in a day, no big deal. In 2016, 2017, like 20% swings were no big deal. It would be a crash if it was a 50% swing. But 20% was like, yeah, whatever, it's Tuesday. When our prices just a few months ago were at $60,000, if it moved more than 5% in a day, it would make headlines. I mean, it wasn't like the end of the world, but it would make headlines. It's not like 2017 when 10, 12, 15% in a day was like, oh, hey, that's fun. So imagine the stability when the price of Bitcoin is 20x from where it is right now, which is about $400,000. If at $60,000, a 5% swing made headlines, at $400,000, I would suspect a 1%, no, maybe like a 2% swing would make headlines. Now, I personally believe that the market cap of Bitcoin will far exceed the market cap of gold. All I'm saying is continued adoption will promote a much more stable monetary system. And because of all the things I've said before, the supply cap all that stuff. It will enable people to save in Bitcoin. I don't like to use the word invest because invest implies that you're going to sell it for dollars, which you don't need to. At least at some point, we won't need to. So you can save in Bitcoin and that Bitcoin will be 
a hedge against inflation in the same way people use real estate now, except for you can buy a dollar at a time and it won't cost you anything. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate y'all tuning in. Comments are welcome. Feel free to say hello. If you know anyone who can benefit from this content, please go ahead and share it with them. You can find me on Substack, Twitter, all the podcast platforms. If you're listening to this, I encourage you to check out Fountain. You can stack sats for free just for listening to the podcast. I have a link for that in the show notes. Also, you can earn more sats by playing Blinko, which is on the Choice app. You can start sacking sats in an IRA. Putting Bitcoin into a retirement account that will never see taxes is something that everyone should be considering. All right, y'all. Have a great day. See you next time.